0: For someone starting out, how do you go to a bank and approach that?
1: For the smaller stuff, yeah, a bank might say, "Oh, you know, Johnny, you wanna you wanna buy a five hundred thousand dollar dental practice. Maybe he's a dentist. Okay, you know, we'll lend you this." But if you wanna get into the higher level stuff, you either need to have really good relationships with the bank, you need to have a really good business background, or you're gonna need a Thanks for coming on, dude. Yeah,
0: man. Uh, it's funny. It came like called a full full circle in a way. We chatted what couple of months ago we did and um now yeah so we we're going to do content but it's like we are on different wavelengths which is fine but it was kind of funny when donnie reached out and donnie's like hey have you heard of brit i'm like i know brit yeah and he's like yeah cool and you know obviously now now we're sitting opposite one another chatting to one another here we are but um so for anyone who is not familiar with brit Foshi, what is it you do in a nutshell and i'm gonna like probably pick your brain on a shitload of stuff.
1: Sure. Yeah, so I am mainly a real estate guy. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I started. I just, um, I grew up little little guy and determined really early on, I just did not want to be poor. And for me, the fastest way, the easiest way to achieve that was through real estate. And so I started with my first deal and obviously scaled into multiple different things in real estate, rental, flipping, all of that. And then along the way, um, I started a family, and so what happened when I started a family was, is I needed something a little more secure because with real estate, I was pushing out large sums of money um, all the time, and so my bank account would just fluctuate, large, big, small, and so, and and for me, a single dude, I just I knew where it was, and I didn't really have a lot of concerns about it, but as I was starting a family, I realized my wife, she she didn't, we weren't on the same page, and so she needed something a little more stable, and so. For me, the, the what I wanted to do was I wanted to essentially buy income. And so I, I started just researching acquiring companies. I really wasn't interested in starting anything that seemed like way too much work for not a lot of return. And Like so, starting a business, you mean? Right, like starting a business. Just the, the idea of that just seemed like I didn't have time for it, and it seemed like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And for me, a fast track to what I was looking to do was just acquire companies. And so um, I wanted something reoccurring. And I wanted something that I thought that I could essentially beat my competitors in. And so I landed on landscaping. And uh, ironically, one of my best friends is uh, a guy who owns a $250 million a year landscaping company. Mm-hmm. And I and, and so I thought, man, I've got this connection. He's literally one of my best friends. I can like lean into his knowledge. I can call him anytime I want it's reoccurring. And so I just started buying up small landscaping companies. And I did what I would call like junior MA. I mean, these were really small companies, mostly sub $500,000 revenue companies. And, um, you know, levered them up, put them up into, into one company. And, and um, you know, looking at this point to, to um, just to sell those here in the next couple of months, actually. So so when, you, when you're looking at a company <laughs> that
0: size cuz 500,000 is still sizable for let's face it the top 1% of of America. <clears throat> uh, what what was it how do you build leverage to get like to acquire a company that's worth
1: $500,000? Yeah, well it starts with your first one. Right, so so my first deal, um, I shared this before on a, on a podcast before, but I, I just did not want to lose on my first one. It's kind of like your first real estate deal. Mm-hmm. You don't really know what you're doing. like you've done a lot of research, you've called all your guys, you're like, what do I need to know? But there's still like this fear like I'm gonna screw this up. So um, what I did with my first one is I just did essentially an asset sale that allowed me to purchase a company for the cost of the assets. And so this was how much the assets were worth. And I was able to, to do that deal just for the assets. And so in my mind, I can sell this, this off. Like things go really bad. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a, I'm a fraud. I can't do this. I can just sell the assets and then just break even, right? And then I got all of the goodwill, all of the clients, all of the personnel, all of everything else. I essentially got that for free. Mm-hmm. So once I did the first deal, for me, that kind of like in, in some ways put my name on the map. And so literally the next deal was a phone call to me. Hey, I've got this company. Um, it's actually a friend of mine. Hey, my, my friend has got this company. He's thinking about selling. Would you meet with him? Sure. Met with him. Guy was like dying to get out of the, of, of the industry. He was moving and so. End up doing my second deal like that. My third deal, a broker brought to me. And so for me, the way you go about it is you really need to get your feet in the door. Mm -hmm. Do that first deal. And then what I've noticed is people will just start coming to you. If you'll kind of put your name out there, let people know what you're doing. Yeah, proof of concept. Yeah. How do you – so with that first deal, how did you specifically get your foot in the door for that? So this was actually an on-market deal, and um, I watched it. I watched the prices come down and down and down and down and down. And essentially, it got to a point where it's like, this is just, this is a no-brainer deal. What Um, type of, what business was it? This was landscaping. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. That that wasn't the $250 You learned from him. I learned from him. And then acquired a similar thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And he was doing large-scale M&A. You know, so he was buying $5 million companies, $10 million companies. And so... Um, Take a zero off for me, essentially. And that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was easy to lean into his knowledge. But the first deal was actually on market. And so I had reached out to the broker and, um, you know, I I tried to negotiate a price early on. They weren't interested, which is how it always works, right? And then they they came back a couple months later and then they were calling me, hey, do you still want to do that deal? And I was like, no, actually, the price has gone down. So we ended up just, you know, negotiating down to a price where, um, again, I just purchased it for the assets. And so that's all I really. All they really cared about at that point. So
0: Let's talk about the easy challenge. You guys probably are not aware, but I used to be a personal trainer back in Australia for about eight years. After seeing so many clients stop training with me or stop those habits, they would just fall straight back into the things that made them gain weight almost instantly again. And so after a bunch of years, I realized it was, it hurt me a lot more than I think it hurt them because I just saw so much hard work go to waste. And so a couple of years into it, I started figuring out this new method that i call the one two compound method and so with that it's about habit stacking creating habits that will help you for years and years to come and the best thing is it's so easy so we've already had people lose up to 20 pounds in their first month by using the one two compound method best part is they don't even realize that anything is happening because it doesn't have to be this hard work it doesn't have to be all of a sudden your life is flipping itself over upside down and you have to focus on 20 different things. Instead, you're going to have a one-on-one coach who will guide you every single step of the way so that you don't have to think. All you got to do is just do the next thing, tick that off for 30 days and the next thing. And after time, what you will notice is the weight will just start coming off. Now, this is not just for people who are trying to lose weight. Also people trying to tone or just change some habits so that they don't ever feel like they're being miserable through a diet. Because let's face it, diets do not work. So to find out more about the easy challenge and the one-two compound method, all you've got to do is head to my Instagram at Aussie Blake Doyle. Now that is O. Zed, or Z, you guys call it Z, don't you? You call it Z? All right. O, Z, Blake Doyle. And then slide in my DMs and just write easy. Now let's go back to the show. Guys, so, and so um, for anyone who's starting out, because M- MA seems like it's popping off right now. It's the big, it's. In 2020, 2021, 2022, everything was real estate. Everyone spoke about that. Everything on the internet was just real estate, real estate. This is why it's ba- great. That's right. That it fe- And now it's like I'm seeing people like Ryan Pineda talk about it. And he's like, you're not going to get rich from real estate. You got to do M&A. And I'm like, you were saying that a year ago and now you're flipping. No pun intended. But it it's, it's, seems like it's the new hot thing to do. And everyone, you know, I had a... Uh, some guy saw Derek Faye's podcast and reached out to me. He's like, I want to do content. I'm like trying to find out what he does. And he's like, you know, he's just doing all the fucking, the cool topics. Like, you know, like Al- Alex Almosi says, to make a billion dollars, you just got to find a $6 billion company, sell it for eight and you split. And I'm like, cool. How do you buy a $6 billion company? Like just these, there's so many people right now that have this delusion. Cause they just, the, the, my friend coined it. Well, it's, it's hustle porn. So we go on the internet, we see some fucking great videos. We're like, yeah, I'm going to kill it. And then you go and you don't see shit or you don't do shit. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, you know what? I need some motivation. Yeah. Fucking want some Alex Hormuzi. Oh yeah, I'm going to kill it. And then, you know, you go <laughs> home again, fucking jerk off anyway. Um, for people who are trying to practically extract knowledge from you, what, before they even go and get it, because again, the, the, most of these people are looking at hustle porn. What's your advice in order to get the stepping stones to get that first merger or acquisition?
1: Yeah. Well, the first piece of advice would be to just hear what you just said, which is it's not easy. And so just get that out of your mind. Just start with the end in mind that this is going to be some work. Mm. And so, um, you know, you can educate yourself to death you gotta take you gotta take steps, and and for me, I, I I'm more of just an action guy. You know, I like to learn along the way, I like to be educated, but just just take action. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, and this idea that you're gonna you're gonna do M and A in some industry you know nothing about, it's like no, like you need to know what you're doing, or you need to be able to afford to pay an expert to tell you how to do it, and. You know, if you're sitting at home with a few grand in the bank, that's not it's not going to work. All right, you got a lot of ingredients you need to make this happen. Now you're going to need capital. And people don't realize that raising capital is basically a full-time job. Yeah. You know, these guys that make it seem like they're raising capital on the side, they're either doing that as their full-time job or they have a team that is raising capital for them. Mm. You know, um, you know, Brandon Turner from Bigger, Bigger Pockets, he's not doing that on his own. He's got a team that is raising capital for him. And so, yeah, I, I've always thought that M A is the path to major wealth. You know, mm-hmm. the Grant Cardones of the world. The, you know, they're billionaires because they have thousands and thousands and thousands of units, right? Yeah. And for me, in in business, it is a lot quicker path to bigger numbers. I've always thought that. And so. Yeah. I don't know why it's hot today, but I think if you want to get to 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollar net worth, your quicker path is an is an M&A roll up for sure. No yeah. doubt, no doubt.
0: Yeah, it's um I heard recently or something like it's easier to take a $10 million company to 20 than it is from 0 to 10. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And so, <clears throat> how many people did you speak to before you got that
1: first deal? That's a great question. Are you talking about like trying to learn or just about, deals? well, I
0: mean, yeah. Deals like, you know, how many people did you pitch to with the idea of acquiring it before you actually got your first one?
1: That's a good question. Maybe like seven I or eight. a lot of good questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you say it a lot. I'm like, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great question. I mean, I say th- it, <laughs> I think, I think what people need to know is that it, you know, it's, it's it's not as easy of a path as as everyone on Instagram wants you to think. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, I talked to a lot of people. At the same time, I had a very high standard of what I was looking for. So I wasn't just like out wasting my time calling up all these guys, like trying to, you know, talk about their deals. I was like, no, like there's really only like seven or eight deals that I'm even interested in. Yeah. And so, you know, I reached out to all of those. And so it was probably like seven or eight until I kinda honed in on the one um that I ended up that I ended up buying. Where but the mistake I see people make is, you know, they essentially think they they try to make a deal out of something that's not a deal you know and yeah. I, and i see hundreds of companies every day and i'm like i would never touch that i'm i'm not even close to the numbers mm. that they want for that for that business so and
0: so what when you're looking at a company to acquire what what are the variables that are red flags for you to definitely not invest in and how do you i mean you you're down the line uh pretty well so you can be quite uh emotionless how do people also not get that uh, delusional optimistic tendency where they only see why
1: it would work? Yeah. And that major mistake um, that people make, you know, if, a, if an owner has taken a business to $3 million, $5 million, $10 million, that took a lot of work, right? It took a lot of time and a lot of work. And this idea that you're going to just step in there and just like figure it all out and, and grow it to twenty because you're mm-hmm. you know you've got ten thousand followers on Instagram is just bullshit. It's just not true. And so I, I think like what what you have to do is just realize that you don't know everything, and 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 really sort of honor and respect like the path that those people have taken to get where they are. And so like when I'm leaning into a company, I am not really trying to come in as the expert. I'm trying to come in as the guy that doesn't know anything. Mm. And so I'm really interviewing these owners. Like, tell me, like, I want another story. Like, hey, tell me how you did that, man. Wow, you were just 25 when you started that? Like, what was that like? And just kind of learn their stories and learn how they did it and learn their process. And in some ways, like, befriend them. Because in in many cases, I'm going to need them. And I'm gonna need them as my ally down the road when, you know, Susie, one of their clients, calls up and they wanna talk to Chad, who's no longer the owner. I'm gonna be like, hey, Chad, like, how should I deal with Susie, right? Like, so I need the owner. However, you asked what the biggest red flag is. One of the biggest red flags in buying a business is actually heavy owner involvement. And Mm -hmm. so, the more involved the owner is in a company, in my opinion, the less valuable it is. Yeah. And so many owners, just they just uh, integrate themselves in every facet of the business. So they're very involved in sales, and they're very involved in the PR, and they're very involved in the HR, and they're very involved in the bookkeeping, and they're just – their hands are in everything. And so when you rip them out, like a lot of these pieces of the business, they don't know how to operate without that owner anymore. And so – that's a problem because yeah. the owner's gonna go away and I'm not gonna know all that the owner knew uh, about the business. And so for me, the less the owner is involved and the more like CEO type of person he is, where he's just kind of out here calling high level shots, that business is worth a lot of money because yeah. I can be this guy. I just can't be all of these other things. Not I. For one, I don't have the the knowledge that that guy had, but I also just don't have the capacity yeah. to run around and be a bookkeeper and an HR guy and a PR guy and all that stuff. So. Yeah,
0: when something takes less effort, it is worth more. That's right. Yeah. because sure. I've, I know I've spoken to a couple of business owners, and they think it's like, no, like whatever it is, let's just use uh, lawn care. Because I've got this clientele base, they buy the clientele base. It's like, that is true? However, what if they could buy the clientele base and the execution? And I think a lot of business owners get caught up with that. And this is not just young. This is old. They all, maybe it's a bit of ego. They like to be important in the business. Uh, You know, like they want to feel like this is, this is successful because of me. Mm -hmm. And in order for for it to become more successful means you need to be able to successfully un- unravel that ego. That's right. And be like, "Hey, this can run without me." That's right. Which is weird. I, I that ego thing, I'm like, "Wouldn't you want to be able to make more money and do less?" Yeah. But it seems like a lot of business owners kind of like being the guy.
1: Yes. I I the two things that get in the way of most business owners are pride and greed, right? Mm. And and the pride is exactly what you said, which is like, "I can do this better than everyone else." Yeah. No, you can't. Right. No, you can't. And so the second that you can just kill that pride and just know your role, like know where you end and know where you begin, know your limitations, like, no, I, hey, I do have a lot of skills, but I don't have them all. Mm. I know a lot, but I don't know everything. Right. Uh, And then greed is this idea that I need to have everything for myself. And so you don't pay your employees well, like you're not willing to do partnerships. Like you're not, it's like everything for me, me, me. Like those are the two biggest roadblocks that I see in like your everyday, you know, average American business owner. It's like, yeah. bro, if you can kill those two things in yourself—kill your pride and kill your greed—like you're going to go a long way in business. Yeah. A long way. How does someone do that? <laughs> well, for me especially around the pride is I need healthy people that I trust around me to like point out things in my life. Like I need someone like a Donnie to go, Hey dude, like, I don't know if you see this, but this is something that I see. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and then for me to trust them and go, dude, yeah, you're right. Like, and so that's hard though, man, because it takes a little bit of humility to even receive that. Right. Mm. And so it takes an ego hit. That's right. Especially like, Hey mate come on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, but man, I, especially in like the last two years of my life, like my journey has taken me to a spot where like, I've gone from like rejecting feedback and feeling like it's almost like a, like an insult to me or somehow Mm -hmm. like criticizing me to like, no, I want all the feedback. Mm. Like give it to me. You give me, you give me. Now I get to decide like what I receive. I don't have to receive everyone's feedback, but I want it. Like you give it to me. You give it to me. You give it to me. I want it all. And so to me, like the more eyeballs I can get on my businesses and my life and my relationships, the better. yeah. And then I get to decide what i what I choose to listen to and not, but I want to be open to all of it. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, the, the thing that I've found is fascinating is, I mean, one, we don't perceive reality as it is. Like we we uh, what I did a tweet the other day. It was like, um, our perception is not reality, but our reality is from what we perceive. Mm. And it, the way, the way I learned that is through this podcast, I'll have a conversation, think it goes a certain way. And then I see it third person and mm. I'm like, Oh, how's different. Yeah. Um, sometimes like, I mean, I'll say wild fucking shit and I'm like, Oof. you know, like you, you wrap around in your head later on. You're like, I'm probably going to delete it. I've had like most of the time. If I, if I get something wild out of a, a like this, a guest, and they say something wild shit. I'm guaranteed to get emails or like, hey, like, can we? Can I just watch it before it comes out? I'm like, nah, nah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, but, but because it's like you start creating this false reality. Mm. Like I've said some wild, like I said like a rape joke in the podcast, mm. and I was like, fuck, that didn't land. And then I watch it third person, I'm like actually that was kind of funny, mm. <laughs> and I kept it in, yeah, because it was it was like we what I found was it's, it's, it's so hard to even take, I mean, feedback from other people is also tricky Mm -hmm. because they've got their own biases. That's right. And then if you had a third person camera on them, then they're like, Oh fuck. I saw that reality weird. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm a big advocate of if you can pay someone to film you 24 seven and be like, Hey, this is what happened. I'd be like, show me the camera. And I'd be able to see it third person. And be like, all right, yeah, I was a dick, or okay, I could have improved that. Yeah. Versus trying to recall it because our recollection is going to be completely wrong. Yeah. It will never be correct. Yeah. So, um, with with when you when you're coming into a business and you're trying to fix a couple of things, what are the the main things that you would say you bring to the table to improve a, a company to take it to the next level?
1: Yeah so i bring i think just leadership in general so i have ability to sort of like rally the troops mm-hmm. and a lot of times these owners i'm taking over for i actually feel sad for them cuz they've worked really hard just like nose to the grind just like good people but in sort of doing so they've just they just haven't led very well yeah and so i can bring in leadership and vision and strategy and you know I can recruit people. You know it's very easy for me to say, hey, like I need help with this. Would you come help me, and and get people on board. And so I just bring a lot of the high level uh, knowledge. And then I I think my knowledge of numbers is 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 above average. And mm. so I just have ability to look at things from a, a numeric standpoint and just go, this should be lower and this should be higher, right? Yeah. Like our sales should be more and we're spending too much here. We got to reduce the cost here. And so I just have a a very it's very comes very natural to me whereas you know some people you put a p and l in front of them you you put in a a balance sheet in front of them it looks like you know algebra right for mm-hmm. me, i just I can look at p and l and in like thirty seconds I can go no nope, that something's off here yeah and so I don't know what that is you know i, I don't i think I just was born with it I'm not sure but yeah, and so I can come in really quickly, and even the P&Ls we get during the due diligence from a company we're buying, I can look at it and go, man, there's opportunity here. Like, they yeah. are overspending here. Or, like, dude, I know we can get the labor down. Like, mm-hmm. I can see what they're producing, and I can see how much they're spending in labor. I know we can be more efficient here. And so, even in, in the purchasing of businesses, I can spot some inefficiencies which in some way gives me a leg up on the buying process, right? Because I can I can see potential maybe in areas that other people cannot. Yeah. And so that's, that's essentially what I think I bring. How much
0: do you look into the intangible stuff that financially doesn't make sense, but that is the thing that makes the success of a business?
1: Yeah, a lot, a lot. I think that um, the goodwill of the company, which is what it's called, which is like the name and like the social media presence and the – Even just the presence in the community, does it have a bad rap in the in the community? I mean, those are all very, very important, you Mm -hmm. know. And a lot of the companies I'm buying are are small enough to where it's less important. You know, we're not talking the Amazons of the world. We're talking about like Jimmy's mowing service, right? And Mm so It it matters less in the world I play in. But as you get bigger and bigger, those types of things matter more and more and more. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well, because intangibles like a mowing business. still rapport with people, uh, like the customers. Because you can come to a a good job, but if they feel like they could go to – they could jump from Jimmy and go to Joey down the road because it's like, yeah, look, he does an okay job, but he's got some funny stories. Sure. So, you know (laughs) – because um, like one of the examples that comes to mind with is uh, planet planet Hollywood uh, when they went public is the time that they went under was because each each uh, each location was like you know planet Hollywood Tokyo planet Hollywood Denver and you would go there and each one would have a like bomber jacket and different uh, pieces of uh, souvenirs that were like, you know, it would have Tokyo on the back, Denver on the back. That obviously when they looked at a p it was like, this is ridiculous spending of money. We could just have Planet Hollywood and have the same thing in every single place and bring down our costs. Mm-hmm. What they noticed was all of a sudden there was, no, if I was traveling to Tokyo, there was no need. Like I've been to Planet Hollywood, Vegas. Yep. I don't have to go to, to- Tokyo.
1: You actually understood what Everything was in English. Yeah,
0: it was like it's, it, it, it's what has happened with the franchising system in America, which is everything is the same. Like you, I can guarantee, if I go to any half-developed city in America, there's going to be McDonald's, KFC, Chick Fil A, mm-hmm. Walmart. There's going to be the same shit. Yep. Versus, if I'm traveling, I will. I would love what Planet Hollywood used to do, which is like, oh, I'm going to go check it and I'm going to buy. Like collecting the bomber jackets was a thing for a lot of people. But within a couple of years, Planet Hollywood, because they didn't have that novelty, which again, financially doesn't make sense, but it was bringing in additional business. Um, That's why I I brought that up was um, it'd be interesting to see if there's like, I don't know how you would do it. And if you might have an answer, how can you look at those intangible things that financially don't make sense that allows a company to even continue on to the next step? Do you have a process for
1: that? Sure. You know, I think in the, specifically in the service-based industry, those types of things matter a little less. And, and here's why, why I say that is for the most part, like when we're contracting with clients, they pretty much just want to make sure their grass is getting cut. Mm. You know, I saw a tweet about this the other day. This guy, he um had eaten some ice cream, and on the back of the label it was like, you know, our ice cream connects to the bigger story of mankind because <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And he his tweet was basically like, dude, I just want to eat ice cream. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't care about any of this, like give fan- me a snapple fact. <laughs> yeah, like exactly, right? <laughs> And I think there there is something to say about that. Like when I shop on Amazon, like I just wanna be able to click a button and get my stuff delivered. Yeah. I don't care about how Amazon makes me feel. I don't care about the story. And there are times when that does matter. And so I don't want to uh, like underemphasize that. But like in our industry, where we can win is just show up and do what we say we're gonna do when we're gonna do it. And Mm. be, like, consistent. And that's why we all shop at Amazon because we know when we click the button and it says it's going to be there in two days, it's going to be there in two days. That's why we like it. And so – Well, they have the intangible,
0: though, of if you don't like it, just send it back and we're not going to ask a question. That's right. That
1: financially doesn't
0: make sense. Even sometimes you'll refund something and it's too – they just go, fuck it, keep it. Yeah. And you're like, what? Yeah. Like even another company, uh, uh, Jolie Filters – $170 $170 water filter for your shower and I was like oh, this doesn't make sense I, just can I refund it and they go you know worries keep it and give it to someone and I was like that's a $170 product yeah. like yeah, fuck it
1: that's how some of the mattress companies one month are. later
0: I ended up using it so I was like whatever now I'm subscribed to them yeah. so that financial short term decision doesn't make sense to any company they're that's like right. what you're gonna just let them keep it that's right everyone's gonna take advantage of that that's right
1: No, we just made a sale as a result. (laughs) Yeah. So here's one way we do that. That's a great example that triggered this sort of thought process is, so, you know, we don't do any contracts. Mm. That's So that's for us. Um, That was, we we really did it because we saw it as a bottleneck to our company. Like they just got in the way. And what, what, are we going to go sue someone for $500? It's like, we're just not. And so- and people really like that. They really like the idea that they can leave our company whenever they want. They're not bound to any contract. So there are certainly things like that that we've introduced into our company. But almost always, it's mutually beneficial. So mm-hmm. it's beneficial to the client, and it's beneficial to us. Like, we don't want to do the paperwork. It's not worth it for us, for our guys and our admin to be running around trying to collect signatures on a $200 a month contract, right? And so that's been a big win for us and people people seem to love it and I think they're just it, it creates a smaller barrier of entry like hey, I don't I don't have to sign up with you for 12 months. Sure. I'll, mm. I'll start with you. And so I've I've loved that that move that we've made. I think we've we've gained a lot of clients that we would have lost otherwise had we not done that. Yeah. And
0: so let's go back to the start um, of your journey. You started real estate at 23. Mhm. Um, From that, like how – because you were saying you wanted consistency and that's why you got into M&A. What about real estate wasn't consistent enough
1: for you to stick to it? Yeah. So it was just mainly the big capital swings. So I – the, the capital swings were just very big. And a guy, as a single guy, I was- What do you mean a, by capital swings? The capital swings. So, you know, I go to buy a you know, $300,000 property and I, I've got to bring 80, 80K to the table. And, you know, maybe I've got cash out somewhere else and I've got a hundred grand in the bank and I'm still operating these other things. So now I've got- I put my eighty k. Now I got twenty k left in the bank, and but I'm I've got all these sort of like plans. Okay, this money's going to come back in June, and and and, and so kind of got all these mental models, right? I'm not very sophisticated at twenty three, and so it just was too much like money in, money out, all over the place. So like from a net worth standpoint, I was in great shape. My net worth was awesome, yeah. but my my capital in and out, it was just way too inconsistent. And and as I started a family. It was just hard for my wife to understand. And I didn't, I totally understood her perspective. Like, babe, mm. like, why do we only have $20,000 in the bank? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And like,
0: you were just doing flipping. You were it's not like a traditional realtor. Is that
1: what you were doing? No, no, never an agent. I was, I was doing flipping and then building a rental portfolio. Gotcha. And um, again, going back to this, this, you know, people saying this is the way to, to, to make all this money, you know, rental, rental wealth is like a slow grind. It's so slow.
0: Yeah, I saw a video of a guy. He had 45 rentals, and he's just like, yeah, I lost money this month. Yeah. Like, 45 rentals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of other benefits, you know, and you know, we can go into that. It's appreciation, depreciation. You know, there's a lot of tax incentives. There's a lot of great things, and I could, I could pitch you on why real estate is the best asset class, okay? Mm. But the reality that you're going to buy a couple rentals and somehow, like, you know, uh, You know, pay for your lifestyle. It's not. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, You know, I I think I have 40 plus units at this point. I could not live off that income. Mm. I just couldn't do it. And so. So, yeah. So even as I was building my rental portfolio and, you know, all these cash in cash out and as I was growing my flipping company, all all that meant was I needed more cash you know and so instead of doing three flips and having 150 grand out now i'm doing seven flips and i've got 350 grand out and so that becomes a little bit of the monster of flipping is as you do and grow and do more flips and do larger flips it just requires more and more capital yeah. and so um, that became sort of the complexity to me and i just wanted something that hey i can count on i can count on this 20 grand a month every month coming in and that way i can go kind of do all of this other stuff and just be rest. I can rest at night knowing my bills are paid for, my wife's good, my kid's good. And um, so that was kind of the mentality of, of shifting into some of that while I was doing the flipping.
0: Yeah. There was, there's a guy in Australia called Cohen Ray, fascinating businessman. He, he's kind of like the Tony Robbins without without these sparkles. Uh, f- like, incredible speaker, very philosophical, but also very useful. Uh, and I remember one of the things he said at a. Um, at an event was, <laughs> fuck real estate, the rich make their money from their business and park it in the house. That's right. And so that that all of a sudden was like, yeah, it makes total sense because um, I remember when I was speaking to my wife and she was like, we first moved here, she's like, at what point do you think you should just get a job? And I go, Stace, I just gave myself a pay rise of 500% last year. What job's going to give me that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She's like, but you're stressed about money. I'm like... It's because that's who I am yeah.
1: and so <laughs> and am you I. can't
0: do that as easily with real estate. Like, yeah. I mean, yes, you can leverage it and you know, you can get the bank's money to make that back, but it seems like percentage wise and yield wise is not as high with real estate versus if you can monetize a business, if you bring in a hundred grand, you can turn that hundred to 500 across a year versus it's kind of tricky to do that with real estate
1: yeah I mean, I don't even know if everyone totally knows how m a works. and if i if I explain some of the can mechanics, perhaps why you can get wealthy quick will make sense. So mm. the way m a works is a, a smaller a company is the smaller multiple it trades for on the marketplace. Meaning if, if a company has a million dollar EBITDA, you know, it might trade for three to five times earnings, mm-hmm. right? So that company might be worth three to $5 million. And it depends on a lot of things. It depends on the marketplace, depends on the conditions of the market, contends, uh, depends on um, what industry it's in. There's a lot of factors, and, but the market generally determines what the multiple is. However, when you go to a ten million dollar EBITDA company, now that all of a sudden those companies are going to trade for seven to ten times earnings. Mm. So that ten million the same company, even if it's but the, the s- earnings different. Even if it's the same exact company, what's the reason for that? It's efficiency of capital. Mm-hmm. So you know, billion dollar players are not interested in. in Playing in the million dollar EBITDA world, and they're really not interested in playing in the ten million dollar EBITDA yeah. world either. They're probably interested in more like the fifty to seventy million dollar EBITDA world. Yeah, and so, so it's efficiency of capital for them. So they're bigger sharks, and they're willing to pay more to have to do less work. So, and think about it this way: think about if you and I were to do a, a business deal, and we were to try to get to ten million by doing the M and A of one million dollar EBITDA businesses. Well, that would take a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Well, because it would take a lot of work, that ten million dollar EBITDA would trade for more all right but here's where it gets it gets the the numbers get really mind blowing so let's say i have a base company and let's just pick an industry i have i i I start out in hvac and i start with just like a base company and that company's doing 10 million dollars in ebitda a year that's a what's ebitda for people who are not familiar with that so EBITDA is earnings before interest taxes depreciation and amortization basically an a- easy way to think about it it's, it's oversimplified way to think about it is net income yeah okay so let's say we start with that company like me and you me and you let's do this together Blake so me and you we have an HVAC company it's doing 10 million dollars a year in EBITDA that's a big company by the way big big HVAC company and let's say that hVAC company trades at, Let's, let's say it trades at seven times earnings, okay? Well, you and I, we can go out in the marketplace and we can go buy a million-dollar EBITDA company and we can pay three times earnings. Mm. The day that we take that company and we attach it to our company, that three times earnings is now worth seven times earnings. Mm-hmm. So that million dollars of EBITDA... Is instead of being worth three million dollars, is now worth seven million dollars. And all that we did was just bring it into our company. Mm-hmm. And so this is why MA is is the fastest track really to high net worth because You can literally double your money overnight. And when I say double your money, you're not even doubling your money because you and I, we're smart enough to know to go to the bank, to get financing, to buy the million-dollar EBITDA company, and now we attach it, and it's worth literally twice as much as when we bought it. Yeah. That's why it's powerful. For
0: someone starting out, how do you go to a bank and approach that?
1: You're going to need a partner, um, (laughs) probably. Yeah, I mean, for the smaller stuff – for so the smaller stuff, yeah, a bank might say, "Oh, you know, Johnny, you wanna you wanna buy a five hundred thousand dollar, you know, mm. uh, dental practice? Maybe he's a dentist. Okay, you know, we'll lend you this." But if you want to get into the higher level stuff, you either need to have really good relationships with the bank, you need to have a really good business background, yeah. or you're gonna need a partner. Like-
0: so, so you're saying like, if someone wanting to get into this, they have no experience, they have a, they have done their knowledge, they've done their research. They're better off finding someone who does M&A, partnering with them, negotiating the deal beforehand, and then learning as a result to then use that as a stepping block.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great way to do it. Another way to do it would be to find a guy that's already doing it and just say, can I come work for you for a couple of years Mm. and just kind of get that get that resume going. And I would just, I would tell him right up front what you're trying to do. I want to do what you do. Yeah. Can I just be your personal assistant for a couple of years? And, and can I, and when I go to, to the bank, would you come meet with me and you know vouch for me? And I mean, that's how I would do it today if I was starting out is mm. find a heavy hitter and do anything you can to get attached to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because it definitely feels like with the internet now, everyone wants to be the, the guy yep. without the knowledge or they 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 don't want to take those stepping blocks. It's, no, I'm going to be the head of the company straight away. And that's a difficult thing to do, especially something like M&A, you know, all the leverage, people don't realize how hard it is. Like just to get a home loan with something that's proven, like, yeah, that like buying a house is pretty straightforward, but now at the risk of, well, Hey, I'm going to buy this company. Yeah. And this company I project, which what the fuck does that even mean? I project, like I, th- I, that's why business business meetings always make make me laugh. Where they're like, "Oh, we project we're gonna make this this year." I'm like, "You're basing that off complete bullshit." Yeah, you have no idea what you're gonna make. Yeah. Um, that yeah, going into and getting a loan for a business is gonna be next to impossible for someone who hasn't got a proven track record, or at least is teamed up with someone who's got a proven track record.
1: Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I mean, if a twenty-five-year-old walks into a bank and it wants to get a you know million-dollar business loan, good fucking luck. They're going to say, <laughs> they're going to say, "See you later, dude." Yeah. And so, yeah, and so the there is no fast track. It doesn't exist. I mean, despite what you may hear on TikTok or Instagram, mm. there is no fast track. And anyone that has told you that there's a fast track, they've got a secret they're not telling you. Yeah. They've got something else in the recipe that they're not sharing with you. I guarantee it. Yeah. They got a rich dad, they got something else. Mm. So Rich dad's are nice. They are. <laughs> they are. Now you can have collateral. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh bank you know, let's say you have a couple houses free and clear or something, and you want to go get some money, the bank will give you all the money you want for those houses, you know, as mm. long as they've got collateral. But a business is a whole different animal. Yeah. And even underwriting, it's a different animal. Underwriting? I always get confused about underwriting. Underwriting is- It's all new to me with over here. (laughs) (laughs) Underwriting is just uh, doing your due diligence on the business. Okay. And there's no, and it's no disrespect to like, to youth, right? But there's no 21 year old kid that's going to convince me that he can go in and underwrite a $5 million EBITDA company. Yeah. It's just, he can't, he wouldn't be able to convince me.
0: That optimistic tendency would kick in massive too for them.
1: Yeah. There are so many things to look for when buying a business, so many things. And that's why I have so much respect for these guys that do it at a high level. And I mean, again, I, I one of my best friends does M&A for a $200 million company. When he talks about the level of sophistication they have when they mm. acquire these companies, it is mind-blowing. I mean, it is hours and hours of forensic accounting and this report and that report. And they look under every... Sheet of paper. I've always said this: real estate's buying real estate's easy. Mm. You show up, you look around. Okay, got some termites, got some electrical problems. No problem. All right, with a business. Is that a Boston accent that just came out?
0: Then uh, no, pro- no
1: problem. I don't know what that was. <laughs> You're in Boston, or I thought second? it was almost Spanish. I was like
0: shit, he's gonna yeah. he's gonna fuck some
1: people up. I've been working on my tan, so I, I <laughs> feeling feeling a little Spanish right now. But that's one of those yeah, things it makes you, it you add it, um, yeah Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll
0: turn it up a bit more. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, it makes it makes sense. Like the the amount of variables that are in a business, especially something that size, would be insane. Yes. So, no, that makes total sense. Side tangent. What's your? So, have you heard about the new Fed? This new Fed money thing that's coming out. The CB CBC. What is it?
1: The it, digital coin.
0: Yeah. What the? What's your opinion on that? And what is it again? It's like the Fed payment system.
1: Yeah. So I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to this. So, yeah. yeah. You know, so my theory is uh, the Fed, essentially, they manufacture uh, crises in order to um, take more and more control of the marketplace, essentially. Mm. And um, I mean, we can get into it, but what the Federal Reserve wants is more and more control. And mm-hmm. a digital coin gives them that. Yeah. And so I don't know if you've heard much about this, but think about this idea that um you go to like, you know, pay for your son's college, and all of a sudden they say, Nope, you can't do that because you haven't done X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, they can literally turn off your ability to transact with anyone at any time through this digital currency. And to me, that is utterly terrifying and some people compare it to like bitcoin is not like bitcoin at all not
0: at all it, it definitely feels like i don't know why this is not turning on there we go um it feels it feels like it's a little bit of a step towards um a chinese credit banking system yes because the ability like the fact that it says now and like you know that they, they, i think they're emotionally tapping into the idea of like hey this is a fast way to pay Which, to be honest, is ridiculous how, in Australia, if I want to pay direct deposit, I wire you money from my bank, Commonwealth Bank, to your ANZ, if it's not the same bank, it's a two-day wait. Once we've established that first payment, I can pay you, boom. Wow. Venmo, Cash App, Zillow, not a thing in Australia because it never existed. Well, They were like, why would we do that? Our bank does that already. Why would I then add another account? So for here in America where it's all these weird systems for money where it's wire transfers, like what, some couple of percent? I'm like, why? Hmm. I tried to wire, uh, I wanted to set up automatic payments to my wife's bank account. So I'm like, hey, here's our weekly budget. Do it, Denied. Oh, it's it's not a bank account with your name on it. I'm like, but I'm authorizing my money. They're like, yeah, we can't do it to unless your name's on the bank account. Yeah, and then all these weird systems where I'm like, the technology is already there because I've lived it my whole life in Australia. That this bullshit thing with Fed now just seems like, hey, look, we've got a faster way to pay. It's like it's already existed. Yeah. this is just a way for you to get in the way and control every single payment, which does feel like a China move. Yeah. That sounds racist, but you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) The, it just sounds like the next step to being like, Oh, Hey, you quote, you you posted on your Instagram story. Fuck Biden. (sighs) It's a shame, Blake. Um, you, you can't actually go through this toll now as a result. So, uh, you'll have to go the long way. (laughs) It just feels like it's a, it's a step towards that. That makes me very concerned. Like, you know, and the way they – I love how they try and make it look like, yeah, it's like, you know, FedNow services and instant payment infrastructure, blah, blah, blah.
1: But you also don't have a choice. At least with Bitcoin, I have a choice. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the premise of Bitcoin, which is like autonomy and freedom. This is literally the opposite of this. Yeah. This is this is control and, yeah, I mean, this this is very scary. I think the other piece of this is these are not dummies. Mm-mm. That are, are doing all of this, and so I I don't think it's going to be a, a process where it, they just spring spring it on us overnight. It's going to be the slow cook. You know how do you kill a frog? You know, yeah. boy, you know, right. So well,
0: it's like the Patriot
1: Act. It you, seems good at the time, and that's then you right.
0: find out that hey, we're still spying on you, just so you know. That's right. It's um, yeah, and the fact that it, like I said, it seems like there's a lot of things happening now that is not really our choice, and it's. It's a scary step forward, and the fact that you know they always talk about democracy and all this sort of jazz, and like I'm not I'm not shitting just on America. Freaking every country seems to be doing shit like this now, but it's weird how our vote doesn't really mean anything, and it's it's like this again, this, this illusion of choice in a way. But anyway, yeah, I thought that was interesting because. Now, even big companies like Amazon have to go through the Fed first before they can even get the money, Yeah, which
1: is wild. Yeah. Well, and I, this isn't even referencing the, the sort of digital coin that's out there. And mm. I think that's coming. And I, th- I think they're setting up for that.
0: What I don't understand, though, about this whole, like the Fed now thing is they're saying, um, you know, it's our next step to a digital currency. We've had a digital currency the whole time. I wire money to your bank account, which is just made up of ones and zeros. Yeah. And the bank goes, yep, we've got money. Yeah. But then they're holding $8 million in make-believe money and they have $1 million in cash. Yeah. That this whole thing of, you know, this is our next step to a digital currency. is like we've had that for two decades. Yeah, that's a great point. You know? Yeah. Money doesn't make sense. Can yeah. we just accept that when we shit on Bitcoin or whatever it is, like, oh, it's not real. I'm like, I just... Sense an image from my phone to your phone, saying you have money. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's weird, but ha- do you see any any concerns with how like how a business could be run in the future with this Fed now situation?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I I haven't thought a lot about this in particular how it relates to business. I just think that small businesses are already so restricted when it comes to like regulation and things like that, mm. that this is just going to add another layer. I mean, you think about all of the things that a small business has to worry about when it comes to licensing and taxes and social security taxes and unemployment taxes. And, and for me, this is just compounding the situation for small business owners small business owners do not have it easy yeah they do not have it easy so not
0: not only that actually i'm just thinking that while we're thinking this out loud we saw during 2021 if you didn't like something we're going to shut your company down now we can't stop people doing transactions like they definitely in canada tried to stop you from getting um you know like the, the truckers when they were uh, protesting. All right, go to the banks, shut them down. Now you can't get your money. This, if the wrong government gets in power and say they're like, hey, all these people that are going against blank, all right, now your company, your livelihood, you don't get any money. Yeah. Like we can literally just shut your business down, which they already showed where they could do it with physical force. That's right. But this is more dangerous than physical force because you can't see it happening. Yep. You just hear someone complain. It's It's the same as someone... When someone complains, I think I got shadow banned. Everyone's like, "All right, bro." This could become a thing where it's like that the the government shut my business down because of the Fed Now situation. Now I can't get any money.
1: Yeah. And they're like, people be like, "Well, what'd you say?" Yeah, it.
0: Yeah, this is bad
1: because you didn't hire enough Hispanic people, or you didn't yeah. hire enough Black people, or-, or you said something against
0: our president. That's you said right. something Like you yeah. said
1: something anti-trans, or you yeah. know, yeah. Shit. Yeah, very it's scary. getting deeper.
0: Yeah. This is. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. So, what do we do? Yeah. Because we've already seen the power of social media and how the platforms can mediate and regulate what you say by self-censoring, but now this is directly affecting the business and everyone's income that they can start making you self-censor to whatever their agenda is. Yeah. Like you know, conspiracy theory. Oh, this guy spoke about whatever it is, which. Plenty of conspiracy theories have come out true.
1: Yeah, and they're they'll control the narrative, whatever yeah. they want it to be. Oh, you and know if you can't get money. Blake, you know, he said this and he he's inciting violence, you mm. know. So don't you think that we should be, and you know, it's like, yeah, and that's that gets really scary, not only this, but just how they control the narrative of everything that's going on is is yeah. very yeah. But this is the worst time because this is your money. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's again, that's livelihood. All of a sudden you can go from to bottom. And now you're homeless just because someone in a certain position of power disagreed with you. That's
1: right. Very scary. Are we doomed?
0: I feel like every generation says we're doomed, but I'm like, this, this thing's the first thing that made me like, even when I was talking, talking to Josiah before this, he's just like, Oh, I heard a bit about it. Showed him one video that capped it up. Literally like five minutes later, I could see him, his brain just, Mm. he's like, that's
1: fucking scary, dude. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think part of the problem, Blake, is, is especially in America, I don't know the history of Australia quite as well, but mm. I think that the further away we get from, like, freedom, like, the less and less it's appreciated. And I think yeah. one day we're going to wake up, and it might not be my generation, it might be the next, and they're going to go, what the hell are we thinking? What the hell are we thinking? I
0: don't think they would know. Because the thing is, it's like people people born into – war-torn countries, they don't know what peace feels like. That's just how life is. Yeah. I I don't think people are even going to know. Because, like, you know when you hear people like our grandparents and mm-hmm. they talk about the good old days, you're like, shut up, Grandma. Yeah. I don't, I don't think people are going to care. Like, what have we done? Yeah. There's plenty of people that willfully threw people under the bus in the last two years that have no remorse. They're like, no, I was doing the right thing. Yeah.
1: That it, yeah, I think that's fair. I just think that their history shows us that at some point people have enough, whatever that is, and mm-hmm. they and they revolt, and that revolt usually is bloody. Is usually what happens. It definitely is bloody, but they've never had weapons like
0: they've got now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you can you know. Anyways, I think, yeah. I think I think we're in trouble, man. Yeah, great, great tangent. Holy shit, I'm a downer right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just interested with because. I'm, I'm interested to see how people start to figure out what to do around this. Yeah. And you seem pretty knowledgeable.
1: Yeah. But even I, this is above your head. Yeah, man. I haven't looked much into it, so I'll, I'll definitely- Now you're going to. <laughs> yeah. Send me that clip. Send, I will. It, send me.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I shared it to a couple of people and it was like, all right, yeah. what the fuck?
1: Yeah. I've been reading about the coin that's coming. So I keep, think the coin's just bullshit. Keep an eye on that. It's like
0: they're trying to be trendy with crypto.
1: Well, I think the coin is is the move to try to move away from cash. So, I think mm. they're going to do a certain a sort of call for cash. They're going to say, "Hey, bring your cash in," and I actually think they're going to, in some ways, incentivize it. And so, yeah. I think they say they might say, "Hey, something like you know, bring one dollar of cash, and we'll give you two dollars of like yeah, this coin. make-believe money." And so, people like, especially in in poor situations, are going to be like, "Why wouldn't I do this?" And the, and I think they're just going to try to siphon the cash out of society. Yeah, and that will lead us to more and more of this
0: will inflation apply when you got this made-up coin? Which money is already made up or have
1: established. Yeah. That's great. That, that would be another tangent if you want to go down there. But, <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> you know, inflation is a, is an interesting topic. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's that made up. in today's world, uh, inflation is a lot different than um, historically what we knew inflation to be. And so, you know, we saw the roaring 20s and... We saw periods in, the in I believe it was the 70s that were high inflation, but we did not have the level of sophistication in the markets that we have today. Mm. And we also didn't have the Federal Reserve pulling the levers that we had today. And so I don't yeah. know if you've noticed, but inflation is all but stopped. Have you noticed that? I
0: saw a thing about Biden saying that. It was quite a great clip. I want to see if I can find it.
1: Well, your your your, your gas today is is three seventy five. Like if inflation Man. had kept going really? up, it was four
0: fifty it... yesterday.
1: Really? I got dicked. You did? Yeah. Where are you shopping, bro?
0: Wrong place, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I, I deliberately went to what was it eighty nine because I was like I'm not paying for probably that Naples gas. Um Fort Myers actually. Okay. Yeah, Fort Myers is getting fancy. All right. Yeah. All right. Three seventy five. Where do you
1: shop? This was like Wawa. Wawa? Come on. Where is Wawa? Yeah. Well, I don't actually say. use gas because I have a Tesla, but <laughs> I just saw it driving by. and <laughs> <laughs> That was probably the shit e-version, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, so inflation has stopped.
1: Yeah. And I think that's because we have levers that we can pull today. So I'm I'm generally a fiscally conservative person, but- I think the fear mongering around inflation is exactly what I just said. It's it's it is to incite fear in our society. Yeah, uh, inflation is done. It there's nothing going up in price anymore. And to me, the bigger threat is actually deflation. And so deflation. Oh yeah, that's what we pay money, isn't it? Deflation is where the price of goods and services start going down. Um, that's bad? That's bad. Sounds great to me. So, well, I'll give you an example. Tell me if this sounds great. Well, you you weren't here, but if you were in the US in 2008, okay, 2009, that was a deflationary period. Mm. Hundreds of thousands of people lost their jobs. They lost their houses. Like literally life as we knew it, those couple of years were, I would say it was the equivalent of a modern Great Depression. Okay? Yep. And so you tell me what's worse, 2008 and 2009 or 2020, 2021? Give me 2020, 2021 every day over 2008 and 2009. So mm. I'm not saying that inflation is good. I'm just saying that the alternative, deflation, is very bad.
0: Would you say, though, because the difference between 08 and 2020 was there was a clear removal of rights versus, and also – there was so much make-believe money that we realized that the stock market is not a representation of the market. It's just a it's a a trust thing, uh, an opinion poll, basically, because the thing that doesn't make sense, and this is proof that everything that we believe in is made up, the depression, for example. The factories were still there. Shit still had to be made, but there's no one in the factory. Same as 08. Everyone loses their jobs, but there's still shit that has to get done. It was just this make-believe thing of, oh, we need to tighten stuff up for this make-believe thing, so we'll get rid of a couple of people's jobs. And then in 2020, it also illustrated like, hey, money doesn't mean shit. We'll print off 40% of the history of money and everything will still be fine. That, I don't know, it it just seems like this whole system is weird and I don't have a fucking solution. I don't know what, I'm an idiot. But it seems very bizarre where it's like we, we, we believe so much in something that's made up that we're willing to sacrifice the thing that's real in front of us, jobs, you know, safety, freedom, because we're like, well, fuck, my dollar's going down in value. Yeah. <laughs> so do you'd rather 2020 over 2008?
1: Yeah. Any day. Yeah. And it's not that printing all that money didn't have consequences. It absolutely mm. did. I mean, there were people suffering to get by. And so I don't want to minimize that. We were also in Florida.
0: Yeah. Well, Florida egg. was a great place to be in 2020.
1: <laughs> it was. It was a great place <laughs> to be. If you're in New York, maybe not as much. Yeah. Daddy daddy, DeSantis. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, but, so but, deflation's, deflation... Deflation is much scarier, in my opinion. Is that because companies then because it's a system that we're in where it's so focused on profit yeah. that when deflation happens, again, that make-believe thing of the make-believe goal of eternal growth becomes so scary that we just lay off an exponential amount of
1: people? Well, you lay off people not because of the growth. You lay off people because you have to. You can't mm-hmm. afford to pay them anymore, right? Like the money's not coming in anymore. Like when you cut off the faucet, which is essentially what – Raising interest rates does. You slow the, slow the amount of money coming into the system. There's just not enough money to pay for those goods and services. And so that's where the Fed has this balancing act. And I don't think they get it right all the time. I think generally speaking for me, I think the Fed is behind the curve. Mm. And so I think they should already be easing and they're still raising. And I felt, thought they should have been raising before, uh, earlier than they did. And so I think if they were just a little uh, six months ahead of schedule, this this would have been a much better situation for everyone. Yeah. But regardless, they have a very tough job. And I'm not like pro or against Fed, but I'm also not a hater because almost everyone that talks about them, you know, it's like Fed Fed this, Fed that. They don't know what they're doing. I'm telling you, these guys know a lot more about what they're doing than they than you do.
0: Yeah. Well, most of the people that say they don't know what they're doing don't know what they should do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a bit of a problem.
1: And And- I just don't think people generally understand money or how it works. And it's, it's very complex. And even I've given this illustration before, you know, in some ways we need to print money, Blake, and here, Mm. here's, here's why. So as markets expand and as new markets are developed and new industries are developed, you need money in order for deflation to not happen. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, you've got, you know, you got manufacturing of this, and then you have this new technology that comes out. Um, we have AI. AI is a great example. AI yep. is coming out. Well, as AI, AI is going to kill some things. It's not going to kill everything. Well, AI is going to create new jobs. It's going to create new um, opportunities, new businesses. And then along the way, it's going to kill some. But essentially what you've created is like a new pond. Okay? And you've got the pond of... Uh, whatever. You've got the pond of building homes and you've got all of these tranches of industry, of GDP in, in the country. And new ponds are constantly being created because we're we're a very sophisticated economy that's constantly growing. And as the, co- the economy spans, you need m- money to fill in that gap mm-hmm. because if you don't, you're going to have deflation. And the second that deflation happens, you're going to find an 08, 09 situation again. yeah. And so I'm actually okay with expanding the money supply, but it needs to be expanded gently and slowly to fill in uh, sort of the, I would call it the gaps as GDP expands. And I can't say that in a very sophisticated way. I'm not an MIT grad, but I know enough to know that new things are being birthed all the time and you need money to fill in those holes or it's just going to get borrowed from other industries and those industries are going to contract. Yeah. And you really want everything to just kind of be stable, which is why you need to print money occasionally. Yeah. I don't know, man, it's fucking complicated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is. I'm not even going to try, like again, I, I'm not even going to try and pretend like I know what I'm doing, but there's just, I'm just figuring out there by day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so for people, I guess, what's, what do you see with MNA? I mean, look, it's always been there. It always will be there. Um, It seems like it's popping off right now as it's trendy. Uh, How long do you reckon until it's not
1: trendy anymore? That's hard to say. I don't know when it won't be trendy. It's not going away. I can guarantee you that. I mean, I think it's – I just think it's – I just think it has its place in the marketplace. And I think it's too attractive and too alluring for it to just somehow just go away. Mm. And so I think that's what you're seeing is a lot of these guys like Ryan Pineda, I think they're realizing that like, man, real estate's a slow grind, Yeah. but I can M&A my way to a you know $50 million net worth pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, you had Derek on your podcast. Mm. I mean, Derek got most of his wealth. I don't know Derek's entire story. He got most of his wealth through M&A, right? Yeah. And so, um, and he got it really quickly. You know, mm. and so I think that, like, it's just it's going to continue to be trendy as long as that that possibility exists. Yeah, and I don't see how that possibility is going to not exist.
0: Um, it seems like though M&A is like the step after you've already successfully built a business yourself in most cases. Hormozy Jim launch now doing that. Ryan Pineda, he did his real estate, built systems and everything else to become more digital around that. Now he's getting into it. Um, Brad Lee, even Derek Fay, successfully built the gym himself and, you know, a small franchise, which was a very great exit for him. He had done a lot of like deals and that before, but the real success of M&A for him came after grinding for, I think it was like eight years with the gym. And then was like, ah, cool. I know how to, you know, build it and put the right people in place. That I think what what is happening usually is like people want to get to the 10th floor in the building, but they don't want to take the stairs. They're just like, no, that's where I'm going to be. And then you're like, you see them and they're like, oh, no, that didn't work. I'm going to go for that building over there this time. Yeah. Versus, all right, shit, there's level 10. That's going to take, let's say, 10 years conservative, probably longer. All right, the first year I have to like habit stack. Yeah. I've got to do this for a year. This is going to suck. And then boom, and then That it feels like this whole, like social media is just a magnifying glass on the people that, uh, it's a magnifying glass on people and our habits. People have no, People have always been looking at level 10 and ignoring one to nine. Yep.
1: It's just now we see a lot more people doing yeah. it because we see how many people really do it. That's right. There's a great Jordan Peterson clip out there. It's actually one of my favorite clips on the internet. He talks about how people think that they can snap back against the fabric of reality. And he pushes back and he says, I've been doing life a long time. And he says, I've never seen anyone snap the the curtain of reality and be able to like fit it and mold it into however they want. He said that it might look like they do in the short term, but he's like, if you watch their story long enough, what you'll always find is it always comes back to get them. Mm. And so for me, like there is no one out there that can forego the work. It just can't happen. It's like built into the fabric of reality that you have to work in order to get results. And it might look in the short term like, like you're doing well, but in the end, it will come back to haunt you if you don't put in the steps. It absolutely will. So yeah, kudos to these guys like Derek and Hormozy and all these guys that have like put in the work to learn how to run a business and then go do M- M&A. The only way you're going to not be able to, to model what they did would be, again, to just find a partnership or go to work to a firm that does it exclusively. Like, that's the only way. And then what you're doing then is borrowing those people's knowledge. Exactly. Which is great. Do that. But that's putting in the work, right? So
0: I think people as well, like, uh, one shift that recently happened for me was focus on, I'm obsessed with learning and executing, and then the money comes. Whereas I think we get in a rush, we want the money that will forego the knowledge and the the, the execution for people. Like if I'm not delivering, yeah no one's going to tell people about me. Right. So, you know, like we're at this point right now, similar thing where it's all we right right, I've got to X amount a month. Great. Now I've got to figure out ways to buy back my time and build the systems so I can go from this amount to double that, triple that, quadruple that, because yeah. now I've, I've got the skill of all these other things individually. I need to develop the skill of getting skilled people, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is another skill in itself. Yeah. Um, and so when you're mentoring people, how do you convey that information to them? How long does it take? Or is it more just they by them seeing you do it, they like, I guess, absorb that information and start realizing.
1: Specifically which piece of that? Um,
0: the patience part. Mm-hmm. And I mean, your success, for example, is not because like, yes, the money is a thing because you know that there's a, a financial amount for you to get in order for you to leave. Anything past being able to not worry about where you live right. and how your family is, yeah. anything past that is just gravy. Yeah. And Bradley said, he goes, your life starts at 20,000 a month. I, I can vouch for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but you know, you don't get there without developing the skills. And I'm sure you've got a lot of people that jump on your team that kind of want the success without the skills. How do you sure. regulate that with them? Um, is it through environment? Is it through one-on-one? Or yeah. what is it exactly?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that um, it is building trust and rapport with them because they they've got to be able to trust what I'm telling them. And mm-hmm. if I can build trust and rapport with them, like, hey, man, trust me on this. Like, trust me not just bullshitting you. I'm not, I'm not trying to like shortcut you. I'm also not trying to keep you on my team longer so that, you know, you stay with me and you don't go out and do your own thing. Like I'm not in this just for me. Like I'm in this for you. And, and so if I can build the trust and rapport, then like, yeah, these guys will be willing to receive sort of the feedback from me. And the feedback is just that man, like you're not going to shortcut the system. You're not going to do it, dude. You're a special dude, but you're not that special. <laughs> You know, like, dude, you got a lot of skills and a lot of talent. Like, you're actually more skilled, more talented than I was at your age. And it's not even close. You're still not going to shortcut the system. And so if you can kind of just get them to buy into the grind and and sort of the long-term game, but man, it's hard. It's hard with 23-year-olds, 25-year-olds. But I think to me, that's where it comes, like, actually really digging into the person. And this is where businessmen, this is where businessmen really miss it. Because we get so caught up in the numbers and the business and the grind that we just miss the people. Yeah. We just miss the people around us. And and so one of the things I like to do with with my guys is I just like to like get to know them, get to know like their lives, what they're passionate about, the things that they like doing, the things they don't like doing, the things that make them scared, the things that make them happy, the things that make them sad. And so the more that I can like connect and relate to them, the more I'm going to have ability to like speak really good truth into their lives. Mm. Because listen... I need guys in my life that are going to speak truth to me. Those guys need me, right? And I don't say that in an negative way. They need me to go, hey, man, like, be patient. You, you're doing great, dude. You're doing a great job. Just stay on this path. And if I can give them that, like, that's what they need. And that and I need other guys to do that for me because I I do the same thing that they do at 38. Mm. Looks a little different. It's not quite the same, but I'm doing the same thing. I'm going, ah, I got more. I got, I got to get to 10 million. I got to get to 30 million. It's like, and it's like, I need people to go, hey man, you're doing a great job. Bro, look where you were five years ago. Unbelievable. Keep up the grind, stay humble. And so we all need the same thing. And so I just want to be able to give that to them. And the only way I can do that is to like build a relationship with them. Yeah. So.
0: Do you ever look at, like, I try and look at life as like a jigsaw puzzle. So, you know. Everyone, everyone, when they start out, like the goal is like ten grand a month. Like I don't know why that's the number, but it is. Then you get there, and obviously, like it isn't enough. But what I started looking at differently because, like again, I can grind, make plenty more than that. But I noticed that there's an element of loneliness. There's an element of you know, I be having a family. There's also shit I want to do that is outside of just make a certain amount in my bank account. So. I've started implementing different uh, pieces of the puzzle that I need to put together. So for example, all right, how do I have time for my family? And what does that look like? Like, I can't be like, how do I spend every day with them? That's not reality. Everything has a give and a take. The next thing was, how do I build a team that is also a friend? And I'll say a bunch of friends. Um, then it's also, all right, how do I now build time? So I have the time to go out and meet new people. Cause I've realized for me, that's what I love. I love the grinding. Get me wrong. I'll be here till midnight the last couple of nights. I fucking love that. I also love meeting people, shooting the shit. That's why I did the podcast. But I also love just going and meeting new people. Cause everyone's so interesting. That also helps business. Yep. How do I add that piece in the, into it? Uh, also then how do I travel for a a month, a year and still keep the business running? Because from Australia, I don't know much, if you know much about us, we love to travel. We're we're the furthest from anything. And we're probably the country that travels the most, you know, like if you tell me in Australia, I'm going to Europe for, for a month, I'm like, sounds about right. You tell an American, they're like, what? So that's a very important thing for me. But it's like, again, it's like, I, I'm not just going to, how do I make money and go? because now I go and I'm lost, I lose a month's income or probably worse because people are like, hey, you're meant to be doing my content for Mm -hmm. me. So how do I build those systems? When, because you're you're obviously, when you're younger, similar, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, very driven by the same sort of thing. Like i got to make this much amount for my family. At what point did it shift for you if it did? Where it was also like, okay, how do I look at the intangibles as well as the tangible?
1: Yeah, I love that question because I had to learn this the hard way. You know, Um, what I like to say is that um, for most of my business life, I saw my business as the most important thing, and and because and I I don't know if I would have said that, but if you were to just look at my life, you'd have been like, yeah, that's where he spends most of his time. That's what he thinks about. That's what he does. And essentially what what that meant was that the things around it like they died essentially. Mm-hmm. And I would even use that language to describe myself. I would not let my business die, but I would let myself die. And I just mean like little deaths here and there, like things I wanted to do but didn't do, or yeah. or, or or relationships that I wanted to have but I couldn't have. And and just and it went, it went on like death by a thousand paper cuts, right? My, my marriage, my relationship with my children, my social life, like my health, my mental health, my physical health, like all of those things suffered, but the business, the business is doing great. And what I've found is that it's just a fucking terrible way to live, Mm. terrible way to live. And that's like an easy way to crash and burn. And not only that, it's incredibly lonely like incredibly lonely. And so like, it literally took me crashing and burning to realize like, this ain't working, man. Like this, this is not how it was supposed to be. And I just needed like, man, I just needed really healthy men to like look into my life and evaluate me and go, Hey, like you don't have to like get rid of business. You can actually do business and do all these other things. And this is how you can do it. And so that's what I started doing was I started just saying like, look, I'm not going to let myself die before I let my business die. And so this year, that's actually one of the first years where my, my uh, first quarter numbers are a little down. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, historically I'd have been like, okay, well that means I got to like, gotta go grind, gotta put my suit on. And then I'd be killing myself to keep my business alive. And my mentality today is like the most important thing is that I stay alive. Like I have to stay healthy and, and honestly, the long-term results of that, Blake, is that my business is going to be fine mm. if I'm fine. My business will not be okay in the end if I'm not okay. Yeah. And so the same thing made with my marriage. I, what I noticed was that like I was just not prioritizing my relationship with my wife. I was not prioritizing my relationship with my children. And so I had to just reevaluate everything. And you talked about the jigsaw. And figure out how to put all of the pieces of the puzzle together for a life that worked. Because really, the the first sort of 20 years of my business, I only had one piece of the puzzle. And it was business. Mm. It was the only thing I cared about. It was the only thing I would die for. And today, I've decided I'm not dying for my business. Yeah. I'm just not going to do it. It's just not worth it. And some may say, hey, well, you have the luxury of doing that today because, you know, you've got businesses and you've got some money. It's like, no, dude. Like, if I... If I knew where that would have taken me two years ago when I crashed and burned, I would never have done that. Yeah. I would never have done that. And
0: you can start it at any point. Like, I mean, I'm starting it very early, yep. you know? Um, But it's funny because, uh, so I'm not religious, love mm-hmm. the Bible, mm-hmm. weird, weird thing. Because I, I do believe it's like what Jordan Peterson says, It's an amount, it's a collection of all the most impactful stories that hit the human soul. And the whole lesson of, you know, the greatest sin is the love of money. I more interpret that as when you love money so much, your whole world crashes around you. Mm -hmm. Now you need it. It's not saying hate money, which some people, you know, interpret as like, oh, if you love money, if you like money, therefore you're sinful. But that was the thing where I realized I was like, holy shit, one, I need money. But two, if I'm just focusing on that one variable, Friendships don't exist, family doesn't exist, happiness long term doesn't exist because you're it's a, f- making money in the bank account is a fleeting yep. desire. Um so yeah, that was
1: it's it's yeah, that was a side story. I just That's right. was interesting love of money. Well and then what <laughs> happens is is everyone just becomes a pawn in your game to get it. Yes. Yeah. Everyone just becomes some tool that you use in order to get what you want. And look You can get really good at that skill. Yeah. And you can get so good that people don't know it. And Mm -hmm. maybe even you're not even perceived as someone who does it. But the reality is if you love money that much, you're just going to use whoever you can to get what you want. Yeah. And that's just not how I want to live, man. Like I want to be super connected to people where there are boundaries I would never cross. Mm-hmm. Like I would never treat them a certain way. I'd never hurt them or harm them in a certain way. And if I do, I just go, hey, man, I'm sorry I messed up. Let me, you know, forgive me, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's super important. And having, I love the jigsaw analogy that you use, having all of the pieces is really not just important to being a healthy businessman. It's really just the important of being a healthy man in general. Yeah, And so, you can take business out and plug in anything else. Plug in work. Plug in job. Plug yeah. in hobby. Whatever you want to plug in there, um, I'm just not willing to die for that. Whatever that is, and I did for like 20 years of my life. Miserable time. Yeah, I'm the happiest I've ever been, and I just told you my business first quarter is doing. It's I've never had a a a a, a down quarter in yeah. the first quarter. I'm I'm doing fine. You're fine. Well, yeah, it's because you you probably also have
0: realized me. <laughs> Again, if my family's fine, I'm fine. I don't have to worry about blank. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Everything else is gravy. That's right, man. Yeah. That's right. Um, Cool. Anything else you want to touch? I feel like we've, we've hit everything. Fed now, life philosophy. Loved it, man.
1: <laughs> Loved it.
0: Uh, so for people trying to reach you, where can they find Brit?
1: So I am on Instagram, at Foshi Flips. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And I think I'm on TikTok and YouTube. Um, yeah. probably find me on the those. The China app. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. I'm on TikTok. I don't know how long I'll be on TikTok, might
0: be. And as long as it gets you eyeballs. Might, <laughs> be, might be banned soon, so. I don't think it's going to be. It won't be. No? Nah. Okay. That TikTok thing, side tangent, it's actually not about TikTok. You knew that, right? Didn't I you? do know. Yeah. It's about control, baby. Fucking control. Yep. All right, guys. Well, follow Brit and uh, follow me. Then uh, subscribe. Peace.